Hello, dearest listener. You have tuned in to At Your Peril by Arthur McBain and Owen Jenkins. Before we begin, a parish notice. A warning. What you are about to hear may terrify and horrify you to the very core of your being. It may also involve content unsuitable for children, those with a nervous disposition, or wimps. If you must, turn off your receiver now. No? In that case, we shall begin at your peril. Hello, it's Arthur here. Uh, Owen is also here. Hello! There he is. Um, So basically, this episode's a bit different. Um, As you know, if you've listened before, usually we have brand new stories to tell you that we've usually spent a long time constructing and writing and Mm. fabricating. Um, And if you haven't heard any of them, then I'd encourage you to go and have a listen because um, we really have worked hard on them. And um, uh, But uh, this episode, um, well, everything I'm going to tell you actually happened. So it's not strictly the same as usual because it's a true story, but it's um, it's it's really weird and um, like I, I never really believed in ghosts, at least not during my adult life. I, mean, I can't speak for Owen, but I reckon you're the same, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, now I know that they're real, and if anyone ever tells me that everything supernatural can be explained away, then I just say you're wrong. I mean, a lot of things can be explained away, you know, like noises at night, just banging pipes, figures at the end of the bed, sleep paralysis, cupboards, opening and closing, it's just drafts. For example, there was an occasion at my grandparents' house when I was uh, growing up, and there was a repetitive tapping in my bedroom, and it was coming from the wall, and it sounded like someone was cased into it. This is true, by the way, and it terrified me, and I thought that there was a ghost in the wall. Anyway, a year or so down the line, my grandparents got the place redecorated, and it turns out that the place where there had been the tapping was an old chimney breast, and the cavity was filled with pigeon skeletons. They'd fallen down the old chimney, and they'd never been able to get out. And the tapping was just pigeons. And a part of me actually finds it more disturbing that the uh, sounds I was hearing was uh, the death throes of trapped pigeons, but uh, nevertheless, a ghost it was not. And uh, to be honest, that was the moment when I realised that I didn't believe in ghosts. I mean, it never stopped me loving ghost stories, obviously. Um, I mean, a love for scary stories is why Owen and I write this podcast. But um, it is my proof that death isn't the end. Because I've um, I've witnessed it. <clears throat> you alright? Yeah. He's got a frog in my throat. <clears throat> Look, we don't have to do, you know, we can do something else. No, no, we should do it. Let's definitely do it. We should definitely do it. We need to get out. We need to get out. <clears throat> it's fine. <clears throat> so, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll start again. <clears throat> okay. So, after, um, after mum died uh, about six years ago, um, Dad started phoning me once a week. It was difficult for him because he wasn't a talker. Dad, he wasn't even much of a listener, to be honest with you. He was more of a tinkerer. Quality time with Dad never involved talking, but uh, doing instead. Words only formed in neat little packages of instructions, and um, 
My fondest memory of him was uh, from when I was growing up was when the two of us made a tiny model pirate galleon out of pieces of balsa wood and we rigged it with string and small pieces of cloth which we'd cut from an old pillowcase. And it, it took us what felt like years to complete, the two of us in silent focus at the kitchen table. And in hindsight, it probably only took a few weeks of building, but um, time goes slower for children, doesn't it? So I really hate that. Anyway, um, <clears throat> from all of those hours sat with him, I can't remember a single conversation, um, not one. Uh, it only struck me a few years ago. Uh, Owen asked where my parents had grown up, and I said I had no idea where my dad had spent his childhood. I mean, obviously, I knew where, as in he'd grown up in Oldham near Manchester, but I didn't know the specific area, the neighbourhood, the street, the house. Not a clue. And uh, I suppose I'd never asked, but kids don't, do they? And mum had been married before dad, and I didn't even know that. I had no idea. Mum and Dad had never told me that, and it was Auntie Cassie who let it slip. She was, um, she's also no longer with us, so I, I kick myself that I'd never took up the opportunity to ask her for more information. But um, anyway, so yeah, uh, Mum died, as I say, about six years ago, and uh, after that, Dad started calling me. Um, and I, I think Mum probably put him up to it before she passed. Um, but he, he called me every Thursday night, after his community gardening sessions. 8.32, on the dot, every week. 22 minutes to walk home, six minutes to change out of his overalls, and then four minutes to make a cup of the strongest Tetley you've ever tasted with two sugars. At first, the calls were only around four minutes long, and it was impossible to keep him on for longer. As I said, he doesn't speak much, and Owen can attest to that. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a big talker. Yeah, no, not at all. Hang on a minute, I've lost my place. Uh, each week our calls got a bit longer. Oh yeah, got it. Um, each week our calls got a bit longer, and uh, it was still only really pleasantries, like what we'd been up to and stuff. He had started painting, which was weird, I suppose, because he was never much of an artist. I mean, he'd never shown himself to have an artistic flair or anything. Like, the pirate galleon we made was engineering to him, of sorts, not art. But his paintings were like Jackson Pollock. They were erratic and wild, and he'd always been a man of order and method, not flair and wackiness, you know? You it's a bit weird, noise? yeah. Is it, is your phone nearby? Is it on airplane mode? No, but it will be. That might be that. Yeah, it sounds like, um... Interference. Digital. Digital, digital, north, north, digital. Have <laughs> you seen the advert for his new podcast? I haven't yet. Let me just make sure it's still recording. Because that would be a nightmare. Um, yeah. Bounces flatmate, so yeah. I worked on it. Wow, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the phone calls started getting longer and longer and longer, and, and we were just chatting away and stuff, you know. I started timing them. Uh, my girlfriend at the time took the piss out of me for that. She laughed, but I don't think she understood just how novel it was for me to have a dad who started speaking. And after about six months of short calls, I started asking him questions. And he was proper, he was like, he was proper cagey at first, not wanting to chat, just one word answers and stuff. But slowly, he, uh, he started talking. Sometimes I wish I'd had kids by now, because grandparents open up to their grandchildren more than their actual children, don't they? And, uh, but we'd get chatting more and more. And his favourite singer, for example, was Jerry Reed. 
I didn't have a clue. Like, we didn't have much music in our house growing up. Uh, and what was played certainly wasn't played by Dad. And it certainly wasn't Jerry Reed. Who's Jerry Reed? Jerry Reed. He did yeah. a song called Amos Moses. How's it going? It's banging. It's actually a really good song. It's got a weird voice. <laughs> I think it's on Grand Theft Auto, actually. Oh. That's the first time I heard it. Yeah. Anyway, his best friend growing up was a kid with no legs that they unimaginatively called Freddy No Legs. And Dad was always racked with guilt about joining in with that nickname, apparently. But kids are horrible, aren't they? And uh, there was other stuff. Like, like he had had an elder brother who died in childbirth. Francis was his name, the baby who died. It, it, and I know it sounds absolutely mental, but now I, th- I think about Uncle Francis quite a lot. Like, all the time. Um, I ask him questions and stuff in my head. Like, should I do this or that, etc, etc. And it's weird because he never really existed, like not in a fully formed personality sense. But I ask him simple questions, you know, and some deep part of my brain does reply. But uh, I've always been sentimental with stuff like that. And uh, and especially considering at that point that I didn't believe in ghosts. But all this stuff about dad, I had no idea. And after a while, I started looking forward to the phone calls. Like whatever was going on uh, on a Thursday night, I'd always make sure I'd I was sat down with a cup of tea by 8.31 and I'd wait for that phone to ring. Um, as the old phrase goes, Thursday's the new Friday. So lots of my mates go to the pub on Thursdays, Owen included. Yeah. Can't keep him away. Uh, pub <laughs> quiz, isn't it? <laughs> but I had started to stay at home until I'd had my phone call and I'd turn up at the pub later and everyone would already be pissed and I'd have an awful time trying to catch up with them. But the longer the phone calls got, the more I'd miss at the pub, until on one occasion, I actually missed last orders. And that, that is like hours on the phone, from a man who barely said three words to me my whole life. I think on that occasion, he was running through his process down at the allotment. His tomato process. So basically, he genetically selected the best tasting tomato seeds. So whenever he ate an amazing tomato in a restaurant or somewhere, he'd take out all the seeds from the middle, fold them into a paper napkin, take them home um, to dry and germinate. And before he knew it, he had bushes of the best tomatoes. And uh, I was like a new man. I mean, I'd got a new relative. At least it felt that way. I had a dad. And for what felt like the first time. Like, I could phone him whenever I... Oh, for God's sake. I'm joking. Um, building works on this. <laughs> Do you want to go and get that? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this. Damn it. Oh, it'll be a delivery, mate. There's always a bloody delivery every time we do record an episode. Hey! Hey, hey mate. Hi. Yeah, cheers, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm just down here with uh, Lanza. Oh, office is well. Is that Scott? Yeah. Oh, hi, mate. He did. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he just texted me saying, come over. Oh, did I? Did you? I, I didn't, mate. We recorded an episode of... You right, just said, come on over, I'm free. <laughs> really? Yeah. I have you got... Where? That's weird. What are we doing? Apparently, I, I, don't haven't, think I haven't texted you since last Thursday. <laughs> One oh, shit, it's still recording. One <laughs> right, uh, where should I pick it up from? Uh, i got a new relative, at least it felt that way. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd got a new relative, at least it felt that way. I had a dad, for what felt like the first time. 
Like, I could phone him whenever I wanted to ask him fatherly things. Actually, that's the wrong word. Not fatherly. I could already ask him fatherly things, like how to replace a fuse and stuff. No, I mean, like, uh, emotional father stuff, like how to deal with it when I wasn't getting an acting job or something. And he was surprisingly wise. Like, all of that not talking had built up inside him, and he was getting an entire lifetime's worth of wisdom out. And then it stopped. I mean... One Thursday, I decided that that was the day I was going to ask him about whether what Auntie Cassie had said was true, about whether Mum had been married before him. And so I did. So he called at 8.32pm on the dot, and I blurted it out. I said, Auntie Cassie said that Mum was married before you, is that true? And he, he didn't reply. He just stayed on the line for a moment, and... I could hear him not saying anything, you know, the way that sometimes silence is as meaningful as talking. And then the line went dead. So I tried calling back, and no answer. It got to the point where I was worried about him. Uh, he was 70 at the time, and my granddad had died of a heart attack at the age of 70. And I couldn't get it out of my mind that perhaps he'd had a heart attack and placed the phone back on the hook as he killed over. And I couldn't sleep because I was worrying. So in the middle of the night, I got into my car and I drove up the M6. And outside Dad's house, I saw that the bedroom light was on and the sun was starting to come up, but there was no chance he was up so early. I mean, my dad always slept in. Even for an older bloke, he was a maverick. When other people his age were finding themselves waking up at 4am, not being able to get back to sleep, he was having lions the length of the friend's box set. No, he hadn't slept, I was sure of it. I walked up the drive, only to realise that in my rush to leave the house, I'd forgotten to pick up my keys, so I knocked on the door. Movement within. The hallway light turned on. Dad answered. He looked like death. I mean, he hadn't slept. Huge bags were under his eyes, and he stepped aside, without saying anything, and let me in. I slipped past his tall and lanky physique. I was exhausted, so I went and made us both a cup of tea, and we sat on the living room sofa. And we sat in silence. I tried to ask him if he was okay, but he just nodded, smiled and spoke in single words. And I recognised this man, the silent man. All of the good work we'd done, getting him to open up, was just gone in one fell swoop. So I fell asleep, right there on the sofa. And after waking up, we had lunch together, including some of his delicious tomatoes. And then... um just as we were tidying up the plates, he told me that he wasn't my biological father. He just came out with it. There was a man who my mum was married to before him, and that man was my real dad. Uh, he told me that his name was Charlie, my real dad, but that he didn't know anything else about him. And to be honest with you, I laughed. Like, genuinely, I stood there rinsing the dishes, laughing. I laughed so hard that tears almost formed in my eyes. And I checked in with Dad's expression to see whether he was actually being serious, but I knew that he was. And um, I honestly can't tell you how it felt. I, I almost felt nothing at all. Anyway, I had to be back in London by that evening uh, for a meeting, so I couldn't stay. Dad and I didn't mention it again. And it was only when I was halfway down the motorway that Jerry Reed came on Radio 2. And my mind was filled with images of the photos of Dad as a child. And it all made sense. We look nothing alike. We're both lanky, yeah, but other than that, we're nothing like each other. And when I got home, I made a snack. 
um, just toast and I headed out for my meeting. And it was with Owen actually, but um, I can't actually remember what we were talking about. But um, I didn't tell Owen what dad had told me. I wish I had done, to be honest with you, but I was just a bit off. I was distracted and a bit ratty. So we called the meeting short and I uh, went home. When I got home, I just sat on my bed and looked at the wall for what felt like hours. Dad didn't call me the following Thursday. And two days after that, he did have that heart attack. He died at the same age as his own father. We buried him two weeks later. The service was lovely, if a little sparse. The community gardeners, the neighbours, a few people from the church. And that evening, after a modest wake, I went back to the family house, alone. Uh, I needed to be alone. I stood in the quiet hallway and clenched my jaw. And the house felt different. It immediately felt as though it had never been lived in. Like, lifeless. Like, it had died along with my dad. Or... Perhaps now I felt as though this place was no longer my family home. It it felt as though it was a lie. Something drew me upstairs to Dad's room. I'm still calling him Dad, by the way, because that's who he is. It would be strange to suddenly start calling him Alan, or Stepdad, or whatever. I stood in the doorway and looked into his room. The light had been left on. It cast a dreamy haze over the yellowing wallpaper, the net curtains... Reader's Digest unopened on the bedside table. I imagined him in there, the night that he stopped talking to me. Imagined him awake with the light on and then suddenly I saw it. I I hadn't noticed it before, but in the corner, next to some of his stacked up paintings, was a half-built pirate galleon. He was making another boat, just like the one we'd made together when I was a kid. I turned off the light and closed the door and I threw myself out of the house. I couldn't be there anymore. I had to get back to my flat in London. And on the drive, all I could think about was the galleon. I felt so alone. I. We could have made it together. I, I, I don't know why he didn't invite me to make it with him, like the old days. And I had no one. Literally. And even my last remaining relative, uh, turns out, wasn't my relative at all. And he had died the same way that he'd lived his life. Silently, not talking to me, at least not saying anything of worth. Nothing emotive or meaningful. I thought about how he must have felt for that last week of being alive. And, like a flash of lightning, a thought thundered into my head. It hit me so hard that I had to do all I could not to swerve out of my lane. Dad didn't like me. There's no way he could have liked me, let alone loved me. How could anyone be so cut off from their own son, so not there? I pulled over at Nutsford service station and sat staring straight forward. I zoned out. I was certainly not in any state to be driving down the motorway. (laughs) I should have stayed at Dad's house. I was still four hours away from London, and I don't know how long I sat there, but I snapped out of it with my phone buzzing. I pulled my phone out of my pocket to see who was ringing. 8.32 on a Thursday night. You know what I saw, don't you? I dropped the phone in shock. It fell under the seat and I was scrambling for it. I could hear it buzzing louder and louder. A cold descended over me. I couldn't feel my lips. My fingers were numb. 
The phone stopped buzzing and I found it. I opened the call log and there it was. A missed call from Dad. Looking back on it now, I can still remember the feeling of sheer terror I felt. I didn't believe in ghosts. Or the afterlife. Or anything like that. And I always tried to think logically. I mean, I was shaken, but it must be a prank, right? But who would do that? It's evil to prank someone like that, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible. I watched a family milling around the car park, stretching their legs before getting back into their four-wheel drive. Did my phone actually ring? Was I losing my mind or having an intense bout of grief? My phone did ring, I swear it did. And there it is, in my call log. Owen didn't even believe me until I showed him. So I sat there in the car park, shaken and delirious, unable to make sense of things. For entire minutes, I forgot that Dad was dead, forgot that I'd just buried him. And then it'd all come flooding back to me, and I'd get filled with guilt and sadness that I'd left Dad's house empty tonight of all nights. And if ghosts did exist, then Dad's ghost would certainly be at home. And I wasn't there. I I should be there. And his phone. His phone would be there, and if it wasn't, then I'd know that someone had it. So I started the car and came off the motorway at the next junction before turning back and heading straight back to my family home. I drove mindlessly, you know when you suddenly realise that you've been driving for ages and you've just been daydreaming or drifting off or unconscious. Well, I I didn't even register the drive until I was back outside Dad's house. I turned the engine off and wondered how I'd got there so fast. I looked up at the house, it seemed older than it had done before. I noticed its flaking paint, the thin cracks in the brickwork, the dirty windows. Dad really hadn't kept on top of the place, but I'd never noticed that. I don't, I don't think I'd ever really looked at the building. And here I was looking at it as if for the first time. And his bedroom light was on. I, I could have sworn I turned it off before I left. But without any idea how to behave, I tried to act normal. I breezily got out of the car and whistled to myself. I never whistle. I walked up the drive, key in lock, and opened the front door. It creaked. I'd never noticed the creak before. Already the house felt unlived in. It's amazing how quickly the feel of old spaces can change. I shouted hello, hoping for a reply, hoping that someone had let themselves in, switched on Dad's bedroom light, and called me from his phone. I called out again. No reply. I glanced into every room to see if I could see his phone. It was one of those basic mobile phones, an old Nokia or something. Dining room, utility room, living room, kitchen, and then upstairs. I looked into each of the bedrooms, then peered into Dad's room. It was exactly as it had been. I switched off the light and allowed the street lamp glow to filter in through the net curtain. Downstairs, I stood in the centre of the living room and felt the silence of the house around me. Shakily, I took my phone out of my pocket and stared at the missed call. Who on earth had called me from Dad's phone? I pressed redial, hoping more than anything not to hear his ringtone coming from somewhere in the house, hoping that one of his allotment mates would answer it and say that he had taken his phone for safekeeping or something. It was ringing somewhere upstairs. I climbed the stairs slowly and with utter dread. On the upstairs landing, I could see that Dad's bedroom light 
had been switched back on. And, um, in the middle of his bed was his phone, lit up, ringing loudly. And before I could reach out to grab the phone, it answered. Right there in front of my eyes, I lifted my phone to my ear and heard myself through the relay. Hello, Hello. I said. Fuck knows why, I mean, I could just hear myself and the room through the receiver. A shiver shot down my back. It couldn't be real, but it felt more real than most normal days. It felt slow motion, HD. I pressed my phone hard against my ear and stood as silently as possible. There was a sound on the line that wasn't in the room. I can't prove it now, not like the call logs, but I swear there was a sound. It was so faint, but it... You alright, mate? Yeah, just grab a glass of water. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's have a break. Yeah, okay. I just, I just um, cut this off here. Testing. Yeah, it's recording. Great. <clears throat> I can't prove it now. Not like the call logs, but I swear there was a sound. It was so faint, but it was like white noise. A distorted something. I hung up. And as I did so, I felt a push in the small of my back. Something pushed me forward. I swear it did. I'll also concede that it might not have done. I switched off the light and made to go back downstairs. But just before I started descending the stairs, I turned back and glimpsed once more at my dad's open door. The light was back on. That I won't concede on. There was something in dad's room. Whether it was benign or malicious, I didn't know. Whether it was dad or someone else, I didn't know. But it was there. I could feel it. I was in the house with a ghost. Unless, unless I was just overtired. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? Your mind starts playing tricks on you when, you, when it's tired and grieving. But I needed sleep. The day had been long and exhausting. I'd buried my dad, for God's sake. I sat on the sofa in the living room and felt my eyes drooping shut. I, I think I cried at that point, just quietly and calmly. I must have dozed off, because next thing I know, I was woken up by my phone buzzing in my pocket. It was my housemate, Francisco. You all right, mate? Uh, yeah, not bad. Where, where are you? At mum and dad's. Oh, right. Not coming home tonight? No, I couldn't face the drive. I thought about whatever it was in the house with me. Uh, no. Look after yourself, yeah? Yeah. How was today? I was thinking... The phone line broke up. I put the phone on my knee and rested my head back. 
exhaling a long and tired breath. The phone buzzed again. Without looking, I answered and raised the phone to my ear. Sorry, mate, you broke up. Hello? My stomach twisted. I looked at the phone screen. Francisco hadn't called me back. Dad had. I pictured his phone still upstairs on the bed. I think, at that point, I was the most scared I've ever been in my life. I was terrified. But something drew me upstairs. You know when you watch a horror film and you scream at the characters? Don't do that. Why would you do that? They'd never do that, etc. Well, I can tell you that in a situation like that, animal instinct takes over. And if it's not flight, then it's fight. There wasn't any option other than going upstairs and seeing what was on the other end of that phone line. I padded up the stairs. I'd done it a thousand times throughout my life, but this time it felt different. The f stairs felt old and unused. They creaked in ways I didn't recognise. I felt like a stranger in my own home. On the upstairs landing, Dad's light was still on. I approached the room. And there, on the bed, was the phone. It was lit up. The call screen. Hello? Hello? I said to the room in general and heard my voice coming quietly from Dad's phone receiver. Who's there? I hung up the phone and watched the call end on Dad's phone screen. My stomach felt as though it had been sliced with a scalpel. A sweet kind of pain, a deep but high-pitched throb. I kept reminding myself that there was nothing to be scared of. This was Dad's house. This was Dad's... I, f I feel stupid saying the word ghost. But um, that's all I can think of. I stepped into Dad's room. It was instantly, immediately and noticeably colder than the hallway. It wasn't nice. A veil of sadness descended over me, as though it was made of the very same stuff as the air. And then the door closed. It didn't slam or creak, it just closed, as though it was being pushed by a gentle draught. The lock clicked shut. I twisted to look at the door. Belief had long since left my mind. I was now living in the realm of the impossible. Then, out of the corner of my eye, a tall and thin, featureless silhouette was standing in front of the net curtains. Soft at the edges, at the side of my vision, at the edge of possibility. As though, as though it was an absence of anything at all in the shape of a human. It was like... A dark and sorrowful void. Someone. Or something. Or at least the shape of someone or something. Was in the room. And I knew it was Dad. Fuck this. And I sprinted onto the landing, and as soon as I reached the top of the stairs, my phone started vibrating in my pocket. What? I screamed. What do you want? I was petrified and angry for... For my own father, who spent a lifetime avoiding me, to suddenly start haunting me. Well, it was... It was just awful. I, I, I sat on the top step, head in my hands, and, and I seriously started considering the possibility that I was delusional. That I was having an episode, having a strange manifestation of grief. And then I heard his voice. 
just faintly, right in the background noise of the house. Arthur. Yeah? Huh? What? I didn't say anything. You just said my name, you just said Arthur. I didn't. Sorry, I thought I, I heard you. It's okay, uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, what was I? Uh, and as I sat there, I, I could hear movement in Dad's room, shuffling, and my name again. Arthur. And I felt, all of a sudden, that I had to go back to Dad's room. Arthur. What? What? What's up? Why do, you, why do you keep saying my name? Arthur, I'm not, I promise you, I'm not. It's not funny, mate. I can hear you saying my name in my headphones. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying anything. Honestly, I wouldn't. I'm not. Okay, sorry, I need a break again. Sorry. <clears throat> I approached Dad's room and stepped inside. It was quiet. The shuffling had stopped, and as had the voice, and, and for a moment, it was as though all of this hellishness had never happened. And then... There was a grating sound, a, a scraping type sound. My eyes shot around the room, searching for the source, and then I saw it. Dad's bedside table. The drawer was slowly and jerkily opening. I didn't breathe. I, I don't think, I don't think I'd breathed since I got into the room. And the drawer kept opening past the point where it could stay held in and it toppled onto the floor. I crossed the room and looked into the drawer and it, it was filled to the brim with odds and ends. Toothpicks, nails, lip balm, reading glasses, a golf ball. Years of accumulated shit now covering the floor and, and amongst all the stuff, a piece of letter paper. I opened it. A letter, dated a few days before Dad's heart attack. Dear Arthur, son, my one and only son, my one and only child, I am so, I am so sorry that he has come to me writing a letter. I am sorry that I am unable to talk about things. I've always been that way. I, I can't let my emotions out and... After you've read this, please don't mention it to me. Don't make things awkward, just... Just... Just know, just know it. And I'll know that you know it. And we won't have to talk it all through. Nevertheless, I'm looking forward to giving this to you and spending the rest of my life comfortable in your presence. Can you read it? Huh? Can you read it? I don't think I can. Um, uh, I mean, sure. If you... If yeah, you, yeah, if you, you just... To. I can't read it, mate. Okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> um, nevertheless, I'm looking forward to giving this to you and spending the rest of my life comfortable in your presence. I am not your father. I'm sorry you only found this out recently. Your mother and I always wanted to tell you. But the longer we didn't, the harder it became, until it was a large, looming black hole above us. The longer it went on, the more awkward I found it and you. You probably won't remember this, but when you were young, we built a pirate galleon together. 
That was the happiest I've ever been, son. We chatted for days and weeks, comfortable in each other's presence, but I lost the ability to be like that again and never got it back. And when your mother died, well, just before she died, she asked me to tell you. She asked me to make sure that I told you the truth. And the truth is what you know now. And I thought that was that. But it wasn't. The truth that you are not my son is the fact, not the truth. The truth is that you are my son, in every sense of the word. I love you more than I've ever loved another living being. I have always loved you as though you were a part of me. I am beyond proud to call you my son. That is the truth. And while you may biologically be related to a different man, you are my son. You are my son. You are my boy. You are why I was put on this earth. I am sorry that I never had the guts to speak with you openly and emotionally. You're, You're good, good at stuff, stuff like that, that but, but it's, it's not, not in, in my, my makeup. makeup. And if I die before telling you face to face that I love you, I will die an unfinished man. So, next time you visit, just give me a nod and I'll say it. Your father, Alan. Um, do you want me to read the next bit of the next bit of script as well? <clears throat> I looked around Dad's room and took it in. I looked at the galleon and the painting, and it made sense. He was trying to reconnect with the man he thought he'd lost. He had been trying to take himself back to the man who made ships with me and, and chatted freely. I don't remember him ever being like that, but he did. Remember it that way. And that's all that matters. And with the painting, I stared at it. He was trying to get something out. That was clear. Trying to convey the tangle of thoughts and feelings that he'd always kept so tightly locked away. I stood up and said to the room in general, I love you too. And just like that, it warmed up. And here I am, telling you this story. It hurts to tell it, there's no lie. But it's also important, and here's why. Men don't speak enough. We don't tell each other that we love one another enough. We don't cry enough, or hug enough, or talk enough. We are men. We are emotional beings. We have love and gentleness and thoughtfulness inside us. We all do. And if there's one thing that my father has taught me, it's that we need help to get it out. Yes! Here comes Amos! Moses was a Cajun. He lived by himself in the swamp. He hunted alligator for a living. He just knock him in the head with a stone. Today's story, the tenth episode, was performed by Arthur McBain, Owen Jenkins, Scott Viney, and Francisco Yanuzzi. 
thank you so so much for listening to this episode if you've enjoyed it and past previous episodes as well please please spread the word tell your friends if you've loved it if you've hated it tell all your enemies either way please (laughs) please spread the word no i'm joking um thank you so much please do spread the word uh and uh stay tuned for new episodes coming away very soon sound like a whale